Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Welcome to another episode. I'm Dr. Shabnam Khan, and I am bringing to you today a reminder, if you like, of the uh, the importance of communication, the language we use and the the power that is inherently in it. If the truth be told, the sway that words can have has always been a fascination to me. And it's a lot of the reason of why I do what I do as a psychologist and as a case manager, just kind of no tools, just words. And in the personal injury world, I think a lot of the time that's all we have as well to kind of navigate our ways through this journey with our clients to achieve those goals that they want to achieve and to maximize those outcomes for our clients. When my guest today informed me that he is a skilled uh, motivational interviewer and uses it in his case management work, I almost bit his hand off to talk to me today. So I'm very grateful to have today, and it's my great pleasure to introduce to you, Andrew Rose, Director of AKA Case Management. Um, welcome to the mic, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank oh, you. thanks for being here. I know you're a busy, busy man. Really, I mean, as I do with all my guests, as I'm sure you know, is just have a little sort of uh, discussion. Well, not discussion, but a, a little CV of, you know, how did you get to where you get? You are. You are a case manager. You're fairly well known, I would say. But how did you get to where you are? Tell us a little bit about you. So I suppose I've had a bit of an eclectic journey. Um, mm. I started off in academia so I did um, a degree in psychology then okay. just yeah, fell into <laughs> academia and working as a kind of a lab technician and doing some training and teaching in psychology as well and then after kind of eight years of doing that and uh, the fact that I always knew I had a passion for brain injury eventually uh, sort of uh, bit the bullet and, and joined case management company and was was lucky enough for Carol Collins at NCM to I guess take a risk at employing someone who had no you know direct practical um, experience of working with individuals of, with um, brain injury but she gave me the opportunity to work on um, kind of lots of levels as a support worker doing kind of behavioral kind of management and as well as doing case management work as well um, mm. and that's where I was introduced to motivational interviewing at, at that time so that was over 15 years ago now I worked there for a few years and then I was approached to go and work in Australia by David Manchester who had uh, introduced me to motivational interviewing and I uh, kind of jumped at that opportunity so was, mm. I thought it was to go over and work with individuals with brain injury on a program over there and it t- turned out that most of my clients were actually people with very complex uh, mental health issues and extreme challenging behavior i'd always gravitated to people with challenging behavior in the uk but uh, yeah the people i worked in australia were uh, a whole new level um oh, wow. yeah lucky enough to um kind of ex- expand my knowledge of mi over there um delivering and supporting living training of motivation to enter um over a thousand support workers over in australia then kind of moved there in another couple of roles and then after five years of never having made a decision to live in Australia full-time, um, came back to the UK and came back into, into case management and yeah, 
um, kind of that's my, I've ended up where I am now, so aka case management, and uh, yeah, took over the directorship um, earlier this year. I've also been uh, a director of Fabricum, so the British Association of Brain Injury Case Managers, mm-hmm. um, as well, and I'm currently um, a member of the training events group um, with Fabricum as well. So I think that's a, a potted version of my uh, history. Yeah, amazing. Gosh, you've had a very eclectic, very varied, lends itself so, so well to the work we do as case managers. So I, yeah, and you've you kind of done it bottom up in a way and then sideways and and all the rest of it. And now you're, you know, running a show, which is tremendous. Um, so well done you, first of all. Motivational interviewing means a lot to you. It'll mean something to me, but may not mean um, an awful lot to some of our audience members. Do you think you could tell us a little bit about what motivational interviewing is as a, as a sort of core um, approach and what it what it has been used for sort of traditionally, if you like? Yeah, so it started off being used with uh, people mainly with drug alcohol dependency, um, particularly with clients that were, I guess, were more challenging to to engage. So it's kind of it's a conversational um therapy it's a a way of i I like to talk about it in terms of coming alongside somebody um and having that conversation with them so you're you're empowering them to look at their own life and what that means to them and the they how important behavior changes to them and Mm. their own capacity to change but also helping them to identify how they might change it it really is as you started this with using the importance of language to Mm. get people to talk about their own their own change so they're making decisions and you're guiding them and supporting them to make those decisions so that so they have that commitment so you were getting them to really change their own language because that's been found to actually have the best outcomes to create behavior change as in you you can't you can't force someone to change. You've got to help them to find that internal motivation. Yeah, yeah. And language is, you know, the key to that, isn't Huge. it? Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It is linked to NLP, isn't it? Neurolinguistic programming, or have I got that wrong? Um, it has it, it has little, lots of links to lots of therapies. So mm-hmm. it's not um it's drawn on on lots of lots of different things so there was um a study done many many years ago now that um was looking at the effectiveness of treatments for depression so whether that was medical intervention whether that was traditional counseling therapies and they they looked at this and one of the the outcomes that they they weren't particularly testing for any reason was just how much you liked your therapist and it was one of their measures and what they found was there was absolutely no difference between the type of therapy that was done but the biggest predictor was about the the therapeutic relationships as it's called and motivation interviewing is a skill that helps you build that therapeutic relationship it helps you to avoid getting into arguments you're not the one dictating someone you know like the traditional kind of medical model of you come in and see me, you tell me what the problem is, and I tell you what to do to go and fix it. And you go away and you don't listen to what I said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and to me, when I sort of heard that, and I went, well, yeah, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So if I want to have someone's advice, I don't go to someone I don't like. I go to yeah. someone I like. 
if yeah. I want advice on getting some new clothes, I go and ask someone who I like what they wear and go, can you come and help me? Um, so it just made, it just fitted for me and made perfect sense. Well, I mean, it just sounds very real, doesn't it? It just, it's what we probably, it's conceptualising something that's very human, yeah. um, you could say. For me, it gave a framework. Um, so there were components that I probably normally did in as an interaction style, but it actually gave me a framework and an understanding of why they worked and what the impact of them were. Yeah, I'm with you. As you were talking earlier, I had this sort of image in my head of, um, walking side by side with someone and stopping when they stop and gently sort of encouraging them to walk alongside, maybe in a slightly different direction. But the whole time, the, a word that pops up in my mind is collaborative. It felt feels very collaborative as a, as a core principle, maybe you could say. Yes, ab- absolutely. That is, that is one, of the, one of the key elements, the, the spirit of MI, and it has sort of four key elements, which are, about collaboration um, between practitioner and the client, about evoking or drawing out the client's own ideas about change, and then emphasizing the autonomy of the client, and then practicing compassion in that process. So it, it's mm-hmm. very much of working with someone. I think one of the kind of um, initial descriptions of it was following and directing, which hmm. I found really hard to get my head around. Yes. Um, but that. That, that's where I got that walking alongside so you can be directing someone but it doesn't feel like it it feels like you are just naturally going for a walk with someone and you might just be guiding what that route is without feeling that you're dictating a path to somebody yeah right no interesting and the one thing that that would come to my mind if I knew less I think less about motivational interviewing would be you're talking about language you're talking about it impacting helpfully on thinking patterns and then impacting on behavior change in a positive way what is the link then with brain injury where we know that there's cognitive impairment sometimes well there is cognitive impairment not sometimes there is cognitive impairment on some level and often the thinking element is harder therefore how how are the two linked motivational interviewing and brain injury do not n- sound like they would naturally go hand in hand as by as according to the description that we've just talked about yeah so i mean it it, it absolutely I mean, and, and conversely it absolutely does work um in terms of there are lots of sort of micro skills that you that you use within it so in my experience of mi and in terms of delivering training i've always focused on particularly focused on training with um, support workers, working with individuals, brain injury, with complex mental health, um, where there is cognitive impairment. So one of the, the, you know, the big um, kind of skills is what's known as rolling the resistance or rolling with discord as it's been sort of renamed, although I still prefer the old version. I like and it too. Using, yeah, using tools like reflective listening. So you're not getting into arguments and what you're, what you're demonstrating to your clients using these skills is, I am listening to you, I'm understanding you, I'm accepting you. And that can, that can occur even with cognitive impairment, because you're coming alongside, it doesn't have to be complex. And then there are other skills that you can, within it, you can use to compensate for the, the cognitive uh, deficiencies that people have. So using, you know, option tools. 
uh, in terms of when you're choosing a path for that behavior change. And it's something that you do regularly over time. So you're practicing it and you're, if you go, if you use the whole motivational kind of toolkit, then you really are permanently literally listening out for specific words that people use. So are they using action words? I have a plan to what I'm going to do about about changing this behavior. But for particularly for support workers and maybe case managers, what you might be focusing on more is using the tools like using your reflective listening, use it, using summaries, using open questions, using affirmations. Mm. Um, and those don't, the, you know, cognitive impairment doesn't have to be a barrier to the use of those because yeah. you are using the shared language of the client. Yeah, you're only ever at the level of the client. Um, yeah. Is the ultimate almost um, person-centered approach. Yes. You know, from from the way you've just described it. And it, it makes me wonder, why the bloody hell don't we talk about this more often? Or at least, how come I've not heard of it more often? Maybe people do talk about it and it's just not come to my ears. But in your experience, do you, I mean, I know obviously you get it and you may bring it naturally into your conversations. But if you say, imagine a world where you didn't talk about it, perhaps, is it popular out there in the brain injury world uh, case management or or otherwise uh, just the personal injury world is it um, something that you come across a lot because i haven't <laughs> well it, and, I suppose, and i suppose it's interesting because i'm i'm i am probably biased so mm-hmm. i do um, <laughs> so i have that bias and so i i see it and i will talk about it so and maybe i've also it's just the case i, I maybe i've been lucky and i was very lucky that uh, ncm you know i think Carol was probably a very early adopter of it, um, right. and was you know exceptionally lucky to you know be introduced it to it by by David Manchester, who yeah, is I mean, passionate about it. He is the uh, man. He is you know <laughs> amazingly passionate, and 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 I've worked with him over you know over years, mm. helping him deliver training and, and training with him. But then coming back to the kind of UK after my time there. Again, it, it is something, but whether that is because I'm attuned to it, and and so because I I've been you know I've been using kind of MI for 15 years, and apart from the last three years, I personally have been to an MI training course every single year. Um, oh wow! So even as a delegate I, or as a trainer? Yeah, as a delegate. So I've right, been right, right. training myself um, and delivering training myself, but also going for training. So doing that refresher because you you need to kind of you know. Keep fresh yeah. you always learn something new mm-hmm. so there are so in this country um at the moment verna morris does uh, a lot of training in motivational interviewing and you'd see a lot of her um she has a lot of training through abi solutions so she's yeah. probably i'd say the biggest name in this country and there are lots of case management companies that do um, mm. use it and encourage people but again maybe that's my biased lens because I have a passion for it so I see it <laughs> yes yeah um, exactly yeah but okay so maybe there is an argument that we're using motivational interviewing in our practice but we just perhaps haven't labeled it as motivational interviewing given that it is person-centered and it is collaborative that we probably use it more when we're working with people who have uh, maybe high levels of ambivalence and you want to roll with that resistance, but at the same time you want to direct and all of these kind of avoid conflict, et cetera. How would we know that we maybe are doing it already? I think this is where, so you, if you've got purist kind of MI people, they, they would say, 
it's a, a therapy tool about behavior change. And therefore, mm. you're doing motivational interviewing if you're doing the whole program. I think mm. within, as I said, within case management, and particularly for support workers, I would say the focus is about that working with, as you say, ambivalence, working with yeah. resistance, because those yeah. are the things that, that challenge, challenge yeah. us. And those are the things that very quickly escalate and then create more problems. So I think potentially people are using, you know, open questions, affirmations, and they might be using parts of skills, maybe not knowing that they're doing it. So I would right. certainly say that was me pre yeah. learning what MI was. Was I using reflective listening? maybe but actually probably not because most people when you introduce them to reflective listening the first instance is you're just agreeing with somebody mm. but you're really not and there are so many different skills and nuances even within reflective listening about using complex you know complex reflections using simple reflections um so you're reflecting someone's emotions and there's also the skills of learning when you do it so you know on a, on a personal perspective, one evening, I was having a bit of a rough time in life, went out for a drink with David. And at the start of the evening, I said, David, do not motivationally interview me tonight. Do not reflect and listen to me. I just need you to kind of agree because I'm, I'm just, just go, yes, life's rubbish. You know, please, <laughs> yeah. actually that would be the worst. Just a bit of an acknowledgement. Just keep yeah. it simple. <laughs> so sometimes it, you know, it isn't, you know, so it isn't, it isn't a panacea. It isn't a fix no. that will fix everything. You may be using components but you may not be using the the full the full set of the skills or for, you know, the full components within there. So, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, I would say that lots of people probably use parts of, but you can probably improve and increase your skills yeah. by learning yeah. a bit more. And and I suppose one of the key aspects of it is that it's a style of communication. So it is something that you will not just necessarily use with your clients. You may use it with your client's family. You might use it when you're running your MDT meeting in supervision, as you said, with your support workers, et cetera. It has applicability beyond just that pure relationship. So it's not a therapeutic tool if you don't want to see it that way, I guess. Absolutely. You can use it. I mean, and quite often in when you do training, people talk about going to practice it with family members, which I always kind of go, oh. I'll caveat that because it's a it's a lot more difficult to do it yeah. with in your personal relationships because there's emotion involved. Um, yeah. So yeah. I would, you know, and my my partner would probably attest that um, I I might be good at doing it professionally, but I'm rubbish personally. Uh, <laughs> and you know, this is recorded, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and that is um, because there is emotion involved. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. And and there is just to just to go back to the point of that it sounds like there's an evidence base for motivational interview in terms of its sort of traditional use. And there is an evidence base for it or there's a growing evidence base for it as applied with, you know, to, to, to brain injury clients and families. Yeah. Across, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's now um, kind of research evidence in most most domains and modalities so it started in drug and alcohol treatment but it is used mm. across you know there are so many research studies under different domains so yes absolutely um in abi and, and many many other fields 
yeah because yeah. of that therapeutic relationship focus and coming alongside yeah so, yeah yeah no that's really that's really cool so I'm just gonna one thing as you you probably know um from our episodes is that we always like to kind of make it a little bit practical um we like to bring it back to well what can our audience if our audience is really like feeling this idea they're thinking yeah motivational interviewing sounds like I'm kind of doing it a little bit already maybe maybe not what three things would you say to our audience that would fit within the motivational interviewing world or field and that would suit the work we do within the personal injury world whether you're a case manager whether you're a deputy whether you're a litigating solicitor therapist you know what would you sort of say are, are three things that you could do that would help your client in terms of their engagement or their their journey with rehabilitation that could just be you know just the ticket for them well, obviously, it comes with a huge amount of bias, so I will say that. But I would, <laughs> I would advocate for absolutely anybody, any case manager, any support worker, any solicitor, deputy, therapist, to go and, and do some training in, in MI, do, do an introductory training course. There are mm-hmm. uh, kind of one-day introductions. Um, they can be done you know, in person. So I say Vernon Morris um, in the UK is doing them. Um, I did double check and on David's website, he does say that he does deliver kind of online training courses. Given Ooh, that he's All the way in, from Sydney? Well, exactly. Is given he that he's in Australia, not yeah, quite yeah. sure how right. that works. But um, in the past, he has come over to the UK, but obviously that's not possible at the moment. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know it's something that he's always interested in, in looking at and he's very passionate about. But I know Vernon has lost training in this, in this country, so I would strongly promote someone um going on to do that or even getting into contact with someone like Vernon with you know, his company saying you know, would you be able to come along and do something like that for our company and sort of you know even if it's saying focusing on as I say the, the rolling with resistance the the reflexive listening the summaries the open questions affirmations and things like that because then that gives you that that exposure and that framework and then that's the start of knowing that, okay, can I do this? Now, the next thing and the next tip I would say is mm-hmm. the wonderful thing about MI and the honesty of MI is says you don't learn anything in a classroom. You learn by practicing and getting feedback and that improves your skills. And the wonderful thing about, about MI is you practice with your clients and you get feedback immediately. So yeah. if you don't get it right, they escalate, but it gives you mm-hmm. another opportunity to show to them and tell them, I've listened to you, I've understood what you're saying. So you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and you get that feedback. And that feedback is usually very obvious when you yes. say something that they don't agree with or haven't said. Um, yeah. So it is about, and it's, con- and it's continued, you know, learning and continued de- development. So you don't just learn how to do it. It's a yeah. con- that continuing developing skill, which I'm trying to observing. Yeah, 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 totally. And observing that feedback in the moment. So that's really, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, okay. Got that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and and the other one is actually something we've, we've just, you know, we've kind of mentioned before is about the kind of motivation in the workplace and motivational interviewing isn't, isn't, isn't the, the answer to everything. So, you know, don't go along believing that you will just, you, if you're talking about using reflective listening skills, you don't use a, a reflective statement to everything that someone says 
because it would be a bit like a child just repeating what you said. It becomes very annoying very quickly. So it, it's a it's about going. It's it's okay not to feel like I've got to use it all the time because if you are using using it all the time, you're not actually doing it. So having that permission as well um, to understand that would be sort of you know my tips because I think people come away quite often and go right. I've got to use this all of the time, and that's not right. And as I say, you know, using it with work is very different to trying to use it with people you have an emotional attachment to because you have so many other things that are going to change how you respond and how you behave um, yes. when you talk to people. Um, yeah. So yes, those were my my tips. Yeah. On no, that's amazing. Thank you. And I guess it, it is again another reminder of one of the themes of this uh, of the podcast and certainly what we believe at Psychwork Associates, which is that you know the we have to be that reflective element is and that observation and noticing is we, we are agents in that it isn't just something we do to our clients and it's you know kind of almost up to them to take it or not to take it that there that it's a constant it's a relational constant sort of cycle of feeding into one another and sharing um, an experience that hopefully with the right tools and like you say using the right kind of language and and, and ideas open questions etc it can turn into to a, a sort of upward spiral as opposed to a downward spiral but of course with a motivational interviewing what you're saying is that if it does start turning a bit downward that's okay try a different approach try a different strategy that will which because you'll get the feedback immediately it will stop going downwards and it will start spinning upwards in a good way the the, the sort of belief of our agency in any one conversation with our client is really important so for me when people say oh you know you know I'm, I'm not the important person in this actually we we are we are important in it and I know a lot of people have got that idea I think but I'm sometimes surprised by how that's not always clear in the moment but that's why motivational interviewing is quite good for me in my conceptualization of how to work well with clients is because it you are held in mind as well um, that you have a, a very active role in what you're seeing and how to make it different quite quickly. Yeah, I think it, it's, you know, in terms of the, the autonomy, you know, when you're doing MI, what you, sh- what you should, you, or you will normally find is the client is the one doing most of the talking. And that's, yeah. that's a good thing. Um, yeah. But it also allows you to kind of own your own mistakes, which is something that, mm. that lots of clients are not used to. So mm. in terms of those reflections, if you see that someone has escalated due to your response, you can say, oh, I'm really sorry, I, I've misunderstood you. Yeah. And that in itself is just a tick in that relationship yeah. box because they're going, sorry, did they just say that was their fault? I'm always told it's my fault. Yes. Um, so there are lots of things there that I think you know, that, that for me make it a, 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 yes, a, wonderful, a wonderful tool uh, yeah. for working with people. Yeah, amazing. It's yeah, no, it's it's really great to hear um, how it can be used in the work in a very you know with with relative with relative ease because there is a, a sort of uh, I can I know you've said that it's it's embedded in sort of that sort of counselling psychology idea or the the sort of language um, theories and um, I I can just see that I think I'm hoping that people are going to have listened to this and said oh, I'm actually kind of doing this already. That's really encouraging. And let me just think about what, what bit of what I use works. And 
now now there's possibly a way to think about how to use it better or that it's not the end of the world if I kind of didn't quite get it right in that moment. It's okay. And, and it, it's, it's about making something fit and just constantly having that evaluative thinking as a, as, a, as a professional with your client because you always want to stay alongside your client. You don't want to be sort of opposites, if you like, facing each other. And that's where the conflict kicks in and um, it's much harder to roll with resistance, perhaps when, when there's a sense of antagonism about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Andrew, if people want to get hold of you to learn a little bit more about motivational interviewing, if people want to just get hold of you because they like what you're saying in general, tell us how we can do that. So they can email me at andrew at aka casemanagement.co.uk or they'd be able to get uh, get hold of me through the office number which is 0115-711-7070 I haven't done actually delivered any training for a couple of years because of you know changes in roles mm-hmm. um, but it's something I still love and um, you know would still, I could probably still be tempted to do it but maybe uh. my, my, my co-director <laughs> might well go no um <laughs> but yeah it's it's something I'm 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 you know I'm, I'm very passionate about I, I love and and I think yeah. is is you know it's a tool that can really help yeah um, massively relevant and mm. help yeah case managers support workers therapists solicitors the whole everyone within the PI world um yeah. so I think it's a fabulous tool yeah, no, thank you for that. And um, are you hanging out on social media at all in any way? I'm not a massive social media user. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, good, I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Facebook user or anything. AKA does have a Facebook page. But yes, I'm, I'm more LinkedIn is, is my kind of yeah, social media domain. Yeah, that's where you're hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Brill. Oh, Andrew, thank you so much for imparting that wisdom and, and, and your story, actually. It's always really, that's one of the nice things about doing this um, is that we get to, to hear about the people behind the name or the, the designation. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, and I wish you all the best with your di- well, relatively new directorship at AKA. Thank you very all much. All right. Take care. And thank you all thank for you. listening. See you next time. Bye bye. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 